You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Morning, church. It is good to be with you guys today. For real, I uh, I was off last week. I was out of town. Kim and I got to go to the lake, and we are so grateful that we serve a church that lets its leaders rest and do those things. So we miss you guys. I am glad to be back. You let me back up one more time, so I feel like that's a good sign. Rob must have done good, but not too good. And that's exactly what you're looking for in a guest preacher. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, that was mean. Uh, no, I, I, I listened to it. It was great. If you didn't get to hear uh, Pastor Rob Rash's sermon, please jump back on the app or the website and listen to that. Rob is one of the missional partners we support planting Echo Church in Washington, Missouri. And if you don't hear this enough at Red Tree, I want you to hear this this morning. We believe in the work of Jesus to plant more churches. More churches. Yeah, I, we, we talked about this, uh, I, I guess I was talking about this with, with, our, with our elders recently, that um, North American Mission Board, who, who we, we have partnership with, uh, puts out all these stats and studies on, on different cities and areas in, our, in, in North America. And one of the things that they say about St. Louis is that cross-denominationally, um, include, like from, from Roman Catholic to Pentecostals to, to Baptists, if, if every single person in the St. Louis metro area went to one of the existing churches that exists in St. Louis, every church in St. Louis would have a minimum of 3,000 members. So we need more churches. We believe in the work of church planning, and Washington, Missouri is a black hole of church planning. There have been multiple attempts uh, to put in a healthy gospel-centered church in that area, and it is a hard, hard area to plant the gospel. So please keep Pastor Rob and his family in your prayers. In fact, is it, can we stop right now and pray for Echo Church? Is that cool? Can we do that really quick? Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of the church. God, thank you that we're not doing this thing alone, that you have partnered us, you've brought us together as family, that we, we are, we've been adopted by you, and that means that we've been drawn into this huge family of brothers and sisters across educational and cultural and racial boundaries, God, that we, we are drawn together in unity across geography and time and bound together with all these people that you have adopted in your family. God, we want to lift up right now the Rash family and Echo Church in Washington, Missouri. God, we ask that you would empower that church with your Holy Spirit that you would break into that community in a radical way with your gospel and that, that more and more and more would be brought to the table, would be brought into your kingdom through the faithful work of our brothers and sisters in that community. God, we trust this work to you. We know you care about this work, and so we pray it in your name. Amen. Um, really quick, we're, we're going to jump into Mark. Um, as, as you're turning there, we're going to be in Mark 6 today. I thought it cool to note, um, today, June 3rd, 2018, is Red Tree Church's 10th birthday. Isn't that crazy? Now, we're actually having a big birthday celebration uh, the first Sunday of next month. So I, th- I guess that's like July 2nd or something. Whatever that first Sunday is, we're going to partner with Mid-Cities. We're going to go out to a park in an area. Uh, we're going to go to a park in Maryland Heights. And you go, why on earth would Red Tree go to Maryland Heights? The reason is because at the core of, of Red Tree's vision, mission, calling is this idea that, that man, 
Our community needs more churches, needs more gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches. And so we went to our association, we're part of the Metro Baptist Association, and they keep track of the different areas in the St. Louis metro region and have areas where they basically say, man, this, these are specific communities, neighborhoods, cities, areas that we are praying that God would raise up more churches. And so we decided to pick one of those areas to have our birthday celebrations, that as we come together and reflect on what God has done in building this church and building this family of churches and drawing individuals to life in Christ, that we can also look forward and pray with eager expectation for God's continued work of planting churches and bringing more into the kingdom in St. Louis. Amen? So there's going to be an email about that. It'll, I'm not even, I don't even know the name of the park because I rarely go to Maryland Heights. But we're going to be in a park in Maryland Heights. We'll be with Mid-Cities. We'll gather together, do a big barbecue after our gathering. We'll have some video messages from our, our buddies in Mumbai just kind of reflecting on um, our history as a church and the cool thing God has been doing here uh, uniquely at Red Tree Churches for the last decade that's crazy. That's crazy to me. Uh, but anyway, that's coming up. But today is the actual day. Today is the actual birthday. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that 10 years ago, a few Starbucks employees were sitting in a living room, right? And then here we are. Here we are celebrating the gospel together um, as, as faithful fruit of that Holy Spirit-empowered work. What a cool thing. Uh, so we're in Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one. We have house Bibles on the edge of each row there, I would encourage you to actually read this in a Bible. I know that's one of the most fuddy-duddy things I say each week, but there is something about, I think, sitting with the text and holding the book in your hand that I think um, is beneficial, especially in some of these stories that might be more familiar if you if you spent more time in church. So if you need a Bible, just look look expectantly at the people on the end of the row and maybe look a little pathetic and they will send you one. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to grab one of one of those and just take it home or better yet, just come talk to one of our pastors and we'll we'll give you one with less coffee stains on it. But we want to make sure we believe in the power of the word of God. We want to make sure you guys have access to that. Uh, so we're in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. And I'm going to read, read our text for us. In the 30th verse of the 6th chapter of the Gospel, according to Mark, we're told this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass 
So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And this is the word of the Lord. So um, we're, we're going to jump into this. I, want, I think there's some really good stuff for us in this text. But, but I want to I remind us of a couple contextual things. And then what we'll do is we'll go back through and kind of retell the story a little bit, kind of put ourselves in that space, maybe imaginatively or visually. And then, and then that's going to wrap us around to, I think, one specific thing that I want us to, to zone in on today that I think the Holy Spirit has for our church. And we'll end out um, with some of the teaching of Jesus and celebrating communion together. So to, to put us in some context, remember where we are in Mark, and I'm going to use the phrase that I've been using constantly when I preach right now. Uh, this passage we're picking up on is the very end. It's the last piece of one of these Markin sandwiches. Remember we talked about this, that Mark, uh, one of his, the storytelling devices he uses is he'll start telling a story, then he'll hit pause, tell a completely unrelated story, finish it, and then finish the story he started. So you have like this A-B-A structure for storytelling. And the idea here is that the middle story, the meat story, gives you an interpretive lens to view the surrounding story. Right? So normally we've handled these one at a time, but this one's pretty big, and so we divided it up into a couple teachings. So this, this sandwich starts back in the very beginning of chapter 6, in verse 7. He sends out his followers, he sends out the disciples to go and participate with him in the work of the ministry. And so they, Jesus grants them authority to cast out demons and to preach his message and to heal sick people. And so they go and they do that. That's kind of how that story starts, right? Like Jesus, if you recall, up till this point, has been traveling around Galilee preaching this relatively simple message. You see it all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. Right? I think I said that backwards. But you get, you get what I'm saying. Jesus' message up to this point is really simple. The kingdom of God is here. God is doing something new. Repent and believe the gospel. This is Jesus' message really simply. And he's traveling around speaking this. God is doing something new. You can be a part of it. Repent and believe and be in this new work, this kingdom of God. And he backs up that radical but simple message by doing miracles. Everywhere he goes, he's healing sick people and casting out demons and performing these miraculous signs that put divine authority on his teaching. And so in in verse 7 of chapter 6 here, Jesus now invites his followers into that same work. So if you recall, Jesus' message and Jesus' miracles are so radical and so intense that he builds a huge following really quick. 
And, and Pastor Jeff, when, when he was here and taught, talked about this dichotomy, right, between this mob of fans, these people who are constantly mobbing Jesus, taking from him and, and experiencing kind of the spectacle of his work, and then these devoted followers who are actually dropping everything and giving themselves fully to the message. Not the people who are there for the miracles, but the people who are there for the actual message, right? And Jesus himself points out this dichotomy. He gives these parables in Mark 4, and he talks about how some of you have ears to hear and some of you don't. Some of you have eyes to see and some of you don't. He differentiates between the mob and between the people who get it, the people who are actually sold out, who are actually fully engaging in the kingdom. And this continues to grow and brings Jesus into conflict, not only with with social leaders, but with his local political leaders and with his religious leaders, to the point that where we are, I mean, we're not even halfway through Mark yet, and already the religious leaders are like, okay, we're going to kill this guy. We got to kill this guy. That's literally already happened. Jesus has set himself on an irreversible crash course with the religious leaders of his day that he knows is going to end in his death. That's why we're, we're, we're zoning in on this theme, right? Toward the cross. And so as Jesus invites his followers, those who have actually given themselves over to the kingdom to participate in his same ministry, it just explodes Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee preaching this simple message. God is doing something. Repent and believe. You can be a part of it. But now he sends out his twelve, two by two, to, to multiply the impact of the message. And he has them do the exact same thing. Go out, village to village. Don't take anything with you. Trust for God to provide for you. Preach my message. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. That's all you need to worry about. Go. And the crazy part is, they do. They leave. They go out in pairs, and they travel village to village. Can you, can you put yourself in that headspace for a minute? Right? Like, can we imagine, like, if you're this, this person, you've been hearing Jesus teach and you see him do these miracles and you just think, oh, this is real. This is real. There's something to this. This is actually a thing. And one day Jesus says, I want you to go out and I want you to do what I'm doing. And you're like, okay, all right, let's do it. And so you go out and you probably get partnered with like Bartholomew or something like the disciple no one's heard of, but you're out there. Poor Bartholomew. What did he do? We don't know. That's it. We don't know. So you're out there with Bartholomew, and you're preaching, and it's go, like the crowds come, and they've heard about Jesus. You're preaching this message, and then you see that guy, right? You see that person who's blind, that beggar, that, that crippled person, and, and, and you get this just clear as day. Maybe it's a voice. Maybe it's an impression. You can't really put words to it, but just clear as day, you get this now's the time. Go heal that guy. Can you imagine that moment? And you're looking over at Bart, and Bart's looking over at you, and you're like, let's do it! And you go over, and you touch the guy, and you pray over him, and his eyes open, and he can see. Can you imagine that moment? Right? 
He looks, he's blinking, he's looking at you. He jumps up, he's shouting, he's praising God. The whole village is going crazy. Everyone's running back to their house to get their sick friend or aunt or cousin or whatever. And the whole village just blows up and you spend all day long praying and healing and casting out demons and going, by the way, God is doing something new. Repent and believe, you can be a part of it. And everyone, everyone is listening to this message. This is what these guys experience. And it escalates Jesus' notoriety so much that it works its way up from local social and religious leaders to the king of Galilee, or the, the prefect over Galilee, Herod Antipas, hears about this. And he starts, he even has his own opinion on the ministry of Jesus, right? This is where we got into that, that weird sandwich where it all of a sudden pauses the story and starts talking about Herod Antipas, the prefect over Galilee, and his interactions with John the Baptist. And, and we read about John the Baptist's tragic death, right? And how, how basically uh, what, what that story gave us is this comparison or this contrast between King Herod, who had heard about Jesus and was interested in the things of the kingdom, but so totally given over to the flesh, to the world, that he completely misses, completely misses everything about Jesus' message. And he actually kills John the Baptist, right? The greatest prophet, like according to Jesus, period. Totally misses what's actually going on. And then we compare that with John the Baptist, this, this man who just humbly gives himself over to the work of the kingdom and it costs him everything. I don't know if you were here two weeks ago when we talked about this, but but this was kind of the takeaway from this center story is that Mark highlights the cost of discipleship. That that this message of, of John of he must become greater, I must become lesser. John became lesser. And he died alone and isolated in a prison right? And so this story kind of, I mean, kind of brutally gives us this, this contrast of, man, you're reading the story up to this point. It's really cool. God's doing this new thing. People are getting excited. You want to be a part of the kingdom? Just so you know, it costs a lot. Just so you know. John, I mean, there are a few people like John. Look how things turned out for him. And that that kind of pause, right? That kind of, hey, following after Christ is costly. That, that provides this lens through which Mark wants us to look at this story of the apostles being sent out to participate in Jesus' work. And I think it's going to be cool for us to reflect on that. It's important, too, to note really quick we're so, if you've spent any time in church, we're so used to focusing on certain stories in Jesus' ministry, and the feeding of the 5,000 is one of them. It's so easy to grab that part of the story, the miracle, the feeding, and make that the story. But the thing you have to remember is that is like the tagline of the story. The story that we're actually looking at is Jesus sending out people to participate in the work of the kingdom just like he's doing it, and they come back to report in. The miracle is like the very tip end of that story. So I want us, I want us if you can, especially if you're a little more churched and have heard this sermon preached 50 times, I, I want you, if you can, to put the miracle 
in its proper literary place in this story. Like, allow yourself to actually experience the story Mark's giving us here about this group of people being invited into the work, and then let's process the miracle through that lens. That makes sense? So, so we're starting with this interpretive lens. Remember John the Baptist. This kingdom is awesome. It's here. You're invited into it. But it's going to cost you something. Remember that lens. And then let's look back at this story. So you went out with Bart. It was great. People got healed. You anointed people with oil. You cast out demons. How many of like, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess pretty few of us have been involved in exorcism ministry much in our time in church life. But that's, that's what they're doing. They're going out. They're preaching the message. They're healing the sick. They're anointing people with oil. They're casting out demons. This is what's going on. And it just works. And at the appointed time, these guys start to make their way back to Capernaum, back to this home base, this, this house that's most likely Peter's house, where they, they kind of come back to with Jesus. And so I want you to imagine yourself in these apostles' place. You've been gone for weeks, maybe a couple months, preaching, and Jesus made it very clear that you are not going to be super comfortable on this journey. You took no provisions. You had to trust wholly and completely that God would provide for you. And literally, all you did was just wander around preaching and doing miracles for weeks and weeks and weeks. You're like, can you imagine like the weird tension here, right? Like, you've got to be stoked out of your mind because it worked, right? Like, you went somewhere and you touched a blind guy's eyes and then he could see. Like, that's got to be just going through your mind. Like, what the heck am I a part of? But at the same time, Oh, you've got to be spent, right? Long nights on people's floors. I mean, the story of Jesus' ministry up to this point has been when the miracles come out, things get crazy and people don't leave them alone, right? One of the recurring themes in Mark is this mob that just won't leave Jesus alone. And so as they're coming back to report into Jesus, you can imagine this mixture of just intense excitement and also just like, man, I need a nap and a cold drink, right? Like as they're kind of getting close to Capernaum and coming up on Peter's house, I want you to imagine the feeling you would have as you approach the house and remembered, oh yeah, that massive mob of people is still here, right? They show up, they meet back in with Jesus and everything is still chaos. Jesus is still ministering to people and teaching people out of this home. And the, the motion and the, the movement of bodies of human beings is so constant. You literally, you can't even set out the table to eat. The table's like leaned up against the wall so more people can fit in the house. And you're sitting here going, can we, can we like grab a meal? No, you can't. There's not enough time. There's too much going on. And in the midst of that, Jesus is like, you know what? We need to get away. We, just, we need to get away. You guys have been doing a lot. This is crazy. Let's jump in the boat. Let's go for a, man, let's go for a men's weekend retreat. <laughs> let's jump in the boat. Let's go camping. And let's just relax and debrief from this experience. Now, really quick, guys. If, I feel like some of us in the room today... That's the only thing we need to hear. Is Jesus saying, 
come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Beloved, our Jesus is not numb to the reality of our humanity. Right? He sees his friends, his co-laborers, exhaustion and excitement, and he says, let's get away and rest. Let's get away. Let's go process this stuff. And so they jump in the boat and they float away. And as they're getting to their campground, real quick, again, like, if you can, put yourself in this boat, right? The relief you feel of, oh, Jesus gets it. Jesus has got my back. Like, we're on a team. This is awesome. He know, we, we've packed our lunches. We're going to go, like, sit out and chill, enjoy a meal that we couldn't have at the house. And as you're rolling up to the shore, you realize, oh, they not only followed us, they beat us here. Okay. <laughs> cool. And, and imagine yourself as, as your boat is coming up on shore, right? And you see this just mob of needy people heal us, teach us, minister to us. And you're just going, can we please just eat lunch first? And you're looking to Jesus going, what are you going to do? And Jesus responds with compassion. Oh, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Let's serve him. Let's, let's minister to him. And so he starts teaching and serving the people. Now, I, I, I'd really invite you to actually engage that emotionally for a minute. Because on the one hand, that's really beautiful, right? Like, man, how sweet is our Jesus that he not only sees the exhaustion of his disciples and invites them to rest, but, but he sees the neediness of these lost people and he just... He just sacrificially gives to them. Like, that's, that's just this, it's this beautiful picture of the compassion of our Jesus. The Jesus who sees us, who hears us, who does not leave us alone and isolated. But at the same time, if you're sitting there with Bart, you're going, what about lunch? Right? As, as petty as that may sound in light of kingdom things and the eternalness of like Jesus preaching to, to lost people, like you're still like, we just got back. We haven't even been able to sit down. Can we take a break for just a minute? Jesus, you brought us here to take a break. And now we're going to like jump right back into the work? That's an that's a interesting tension, right? And, and Jesus does. He he, he, you can imagine him almost being like, shh, shh, shh. and he just preaches to the people and teaches to them and, and loves them. And the day drags on. And as dinner time is approaching, and you've still got your basket there, right? And you're thinking about that packed lunch. You're just like, Jesus, can you, can we send these people away, please? Can they go get their own dinner? And Jesus is like, you feed them. Hold on, just right. Like, let's process that for a minute. What? And in, right, this, this this interaction, you feed them. What? What? And and they even get kind of snippy, right? Do we have ten months' wages to go buy dinner for all these people? Right? You you can imagine. I hope if you're like me, 
You can imagine yourself in this place. Like if I just got back from a long trip and I'm exhausted and, and my boss buddy, Savior, was like, let's go relax. And then we couldn't relax. And then we're still working and it's been a whole long day. And I'm still holding my packed lunch from this morning. And he's like, why don't you go feed those people? I'd be like, why don't you go feed those people? <laughs> we want me to do. And what do you have? I, I love this piece. Jesus says, what do you have? They have five loaves and two fishes. Now, really quick, we got to take just, we got to hit pause on this story, and we just got to talk shop for a minute about Jewish baskets. Because I know you woke up this morning thinking, I hope I learned about culture of Jewish baskets. But it really is actually important to this. In, in this day and age, in, 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 in Palestine, right, in conquered Israel, a, a Jew's basket was actually a big deal. Men, women, children, they would all have these kind of messenger bag style baskets that they would bring with them during the day because they were in a secular Romanized Greek world and yet God still had expectations of them of how they kept themselves clean and what they ate. And so when you left your house for the day, you would pack everything you needed in your basket. You would make sure to pack some clean food and you would make sure to pack some washing utensils and things like the stuff that you would need that in case, just in case your job today led you into a community that was totally Gentile, you could still honor God and not defile yourself. This was the norm in Jesus's day. And so when dinner time rolls around, and you can imagine the 12 sitting there holding their baskets with their packed lunch, and they start to realize no one else here has a basket. And it comes back to this fact that they rushed ahead, right? These people heard, oh, Jesus and his posse is going out to the countryside, and they sprinted out of their homes. No one stopped to pack lunch. And so this huge crowd is sitting there, and they've got nothing. And when Jesus says, what do you have? And they pull together five loaves and two fish. You know how much food five loaves and two fish is? Just about enough to feed, oh, I don't know, 13 people. This is their lunch. This is the food they packed. This was, you had no leisure to eat, so let's go get off and eat. And so they pack up their baskets and go, and they're there, and they don't even get to rest, and Jesus makes them continue in the work. And then when it's finally dinner time, he's like, what what do you guys got? Let's give that to them. And you can just, like, I don't, again, I know, especially, because, right, we just read this story about John the Baptist who died. It seems really petty. To be like, I'm tired, I want my dinner. But at the same time, I guarantee you all connect to that. Jesus sits here and goes, what's in your basket? What do you got? Let's give him that. Oh, man. Really? Okay. So they do. Jesus divides it up. He blesses it. And I love this piece. He, he like, right, like divides it all up, breaks up the bread, breaks up the fish, divides it back up amongst their baskets so everyone has some bread and some fish. And he sends them out to go feed the people. Now, I want you to imagine that really quick. These people are like sat down in garrisons of like 50s and 100s. And you've got your messenger bag full of fish and bread. And you walk up to that first person. And you're like, uh, here you go. (laughs) Right? But they start divvying out the food. And as they walk through the lines, giving away their lunch 
to these ungrateful people who aren't considerate, who didn't think about them, who came here selfishly, who took away their rest, as they feed these people, somehow the basket stays full. And they keep feeding, and they keep feeding, and they keep feeding, and they keep feeding, and they get to the end, and how much is left over? Twelve full baskets. They, they walk back down to Jesus, having just fed thousands of human beings. And they sit down with Jesus, and they've still got their meal. There's something about that story, right? There's something about that. About Jesus grabbing a hold of every little comfort they might demand for themselves, and just going, nope, give that up. Nope, give that one too. Nope, give that one too. And at the end of it, they sit down with Jesus and they're sitting with their Savior and they've still got dinner. Man, there's something there for us, church. There's something there for us. I, I, I don't know, I don't know how much like your heart resonates with that idea of, of of maybe just getting a little grouchy when Jesus pokes at your comforts and your desires and the things you think you deserve. But, but here's the thing, right? Putting our story in context, it's in, in, with, with the story in the middle, right? If you just read this story and all you had was, hey, these disciples went out and they did all this miraculous ministry and they came back and they wanted some time alone, but they didn't get it. And they weren't too happy about it. And then Jesus provided for them anyway. You look at that story and you'd be like, man, those guys are petty. (laughs) Right? You just went out preaching and healing people and you came back and there were more people who needed preaching to and you were mad because you couldn't get dinner? That's what frustrated you? Yeah, those people were going to hell. Get over yourself. Right? But Mark gives us this story of John the Baptist right in the middle which gives us this lens, it just reminds us this story is about what it costs to follow Jesus. This story is about what it costs to actually be a disciple. Because plenty of people hear the message and go, I like that. I like something about that. That's good. King Herod heard the message and thought, that's good. It actually, it actually specifically says that. He loved, he loved to hear John preach. But he didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't engage his heart. It didn't change him. There are plenty of people who hear Jesus' message that God is doing something new, that there's this kingdom, that there's this abundant life that's free from sin and free from the curse of this world, and you're invited to be a part of it. There's plenty of people who hear that and go, that sounds good. I want me some of that. And the minute they actually start to engage that and realize what that costs and realize what that asks of a person, they go, I don't really want it that much. This story is about the cost of discipleship. It is beautiful to read the story about the disciples being invited into Jesus' work. They were not just passive recipients of the gospel. They were active participants in the work of of preaching and healing and 
freeing the lost and discouraged and exhausted and cursed people. It is beautiful to see that. And when we put ourselves in that story, something about it is energizing. To think about being there and praying that prayer and seeing a paralyzed person stand up or a a blind person see or seeing an oppressed person. There's something about that that just, it just gets you excited. But Mark reminds us, that's not the whole deal. It's not like you just go, this message sounds awesome and you sign up and it's puppies and rainbows and miracles. It actually is expensive. It actually costs you. And, and by the way, it doesn't just cost you big stuff. It's going to cost you little stuff. Little annoying, trivial things that you wouldn't even think of. You see, I think a lot of us, right, if, if you're married, you're, you're going to relate to this. I think a lot of us can way more easily commit to some dramatic gesture of affection than a ton of tiny little consistent things, right? Like how many, this is the thing we always say in premarital counseling, right? Husbands, you would gladly take a bullet for your wife, but will you pick up your dirty underwear every night, right? It's, it's easier to devote yourself to the single dramatic expression of affection, but what about the thousand little bitty annoying things? What about when you're exhausted? And you just want to sit down and eat dinner, but there's more people who want to hear about Christ. There's more people who are hurting, who are suffering. What about that? And, and it leaves you with this weird tension, right? Because Jesus hears you, and he sees you, and he knows your frame, and he knows your frailty, and he meets you in your exhaustion and says, come with me, let's rest. And you're like, oh, thank you. But something about Jesus' definition of rest still costs you all your little comforts. How the heck does that work? Something about Jesus' rest His gospel rest still makes you uncomfortable. It still costs you something. That, I think, is what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Beloved, I think many of us, many of us, run ourselves ragged for the kingdom. We we pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out and burn ourselves out. We burn like a candle burn at both ends, like, like, like tools that never get oiled or taken care of, like dull knives that get bent and dinged up. We work ourselves and work ourselves because we go, well, kingdom stuff matters and this stuff is important. And I think probably just as many of us see that and just go, I can't do that. That's not sustainable. I need rest. And rather than resting in Christ, we run We run to escape. We run to what the Bible calls sloth. And we end up with these two extremes of people who are numb and disengaged and people who are so hyper-engaged that they're exhausted and cynical and bitter. Neither of those are what Christ has for you. Neither of those are actual kingdom life, actual gospel living. See, there is a cost to discipleship. There really is. And it will push you on all your little idols, all your little comforts, all the little things you think you deserve. It will push you on those. Jesus will say, nope, give me that one, give me that one too, and that one, oh, and that one. But at the end of the day, gospel labor 
giving yourself to the kingdom, giving yourself fully, paying the price of discipleship, does not leave you burnt out and spent and exhausted. There is this strange, strange, like, like broken understanding that like in the gospel, in the kingdom with Christ, even our labor brings us rest and rejuvenation. When I was in high school, I was an idiot, which is a con- I know that's, that's a redundant sentence. <laughs> uh, I'm actually really embarrassed to tell this story because my mom is here and I've never said this to her before. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was an idiot. And, and one night, if you've ever been to Mid Rivers Mall in St. Peter's, they have a movie theater built into the mall. And so one night, me and my friends went to see a movie and the movie got out after the mall was closed. And you're supposed to leave through this back door and go straight out the theater and not go through the mall. But we, in fact, snuck into the mall just to look around, to close mall. I don't know why. And we began to play with the escalator because we're high school kids. And so we're messing with the escalators, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, whatever it was, running up, running up the down escalator, sprinting down the up escalator, doing all the stupid stuff that high school kids do. And I am struck by this image of seeing my friend sprint, there's such a dead sprint up this down escalator, <laughs> Right? And every time he would like trip or stop to catch his breath or trip, (laughs) fall on his face, and then just immediately start going back down, right? And we can laugh at that kind of image, right? Because high school kids are idiots and that's funny. But how many of us on an actual heart level, that all of a sudden grabs a hold of something? Where you realize, man, that's a goofy image, but that's also a metaphor for living in this cursed and broken world where our toil is meaningless, where we can sow and sow and sow and someone else reaps, where we can work and work and work and work and work and not actually provide enough for ourselves. We, we, we feel like, right, that, that, that idea of the meaninglessness of cursed work, Genesis 3 work, that just spends you, it just burns you out, and at the end of it, when you collapse from exhaustion, you still just kind of... Right? Something about that, I think, speaks to our souls. But beloved, Jesus does something amazing for us in the kingdom. Jesus does something freeing for us in the gospel. He, He engages us in the meaninglessness of our toil. This story, by the way, ends with the same friend running up the down escalator as fast as he can, and then the mall security guard walking up to the bottom of the escalator and hitting the button to turn it off when he caught us. And then my friend just, poof, face first into the medical, metal escalator. Right? That's how the story ends. And again, you can laugh at him. Something in your soul goes, oh, that would be so great. It would be so great to know that like, the escalators just stopped and that you can actually like, run and labor and pour out and that it'll actually get you somewhere. That would be so refreshing. Beloved, that is not the answer of our Jesus. He doesn't just stop the curse. He doesn't just stop the escalator. 
He, he doesn't just go, oh, you're exhausted, you need a break, let's go take a break. No. He, he jumps into something new with them. He goes and he says, let's go do something. Let's go serve these people. There's a famous passage in Matthew 11. You can turn there if you want to. I'm going to read it to you guys really quick. Um, Jesus is talking about how, how destructive and how um, soul-crunching the weight of the law is. And he's talking about how the Pharisaical leaders, the religious leaders, put this weight of performing to the law on the people. And Jesus says in verse 28 of chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, if those words don't call out to your heart on some level, to hear your Jesus saying, come to me when you're exhausted. Come to me. Sit under my burden. It is easy and light. I want to give you an image for this. There, there's a, he's, he's dead now, but there was a theologian at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a professor there for like 50 years. A guy named Dwight Pentecost. Isn't that a great name for a seminary professor? Dwight Pentecost. Uh, but he, he talked about this passage a lot. He did a lot of study about this. And, and one of the things that's, that's really cool is if you, when we picture this passage, we picture, right, like the two oxen, like underneath the yoke, or maybe the one, they're underneath the yoke, and there's the taskmaster behind him. He's got the plow, and maybe he's, you know, whipping the ox, or whatever, get to move, plowing straight lines. And, and we, we picture this, and we essentially naturally picture Jesus as going, hey, I'm a better taskmaster. Take off that yoke. That's, that's exhausting. That's not life-giving. Come over here. Put on mine. I will drive you differently. It will be life-giving. It'll be gentle. It won't be so wearisome. And that, that can be an encouraging picture. But what, what's actually going on here, the image that Jesus gives us here, is not of you unsaddling yourself from one taskmaster and going to another. The image Jesus is giving here is you unsaddling yourself from a single yoke and going to a double yoke. Because these, the yokes, the ones they would use in Palestine in this day, uh, they didn't have a lot of consistency in their herds. Uh, just, this is a reality of the day. And so most of the time when you yoked up two beasts of burden, they were not equal in strength or equal in size. And so the yokes were set up in such a way that you could readjust the ropes to transfer more or less of the weight to one animal versus the other. And in fact, when you would bring an animal under the yoke for the first time, you would take all of the weight off of him. The yoke would be on him, but the weight would be on the stronger animal. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he's not telling you I'm a better taskmaster. He's saying, I will work with you. Come, yoke with me. Let me be strong in your weakness. Lean into me and let me pull the plow. I'll keep the line straight. I'll bear the weight of it. You just lean on me. This is the image of our Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and exhausted, who, who see this world and the 
fruitlessness of this curse. Come to me and yoke with me and I will bear your burdens. This is our Jesus who is the stronger worker. Who doesn't just say, man, you guys are exhausted. Let's go get away for a while and chill and get in a clear headspace. He says, let's go and I'll serve. And I'll provide. And I'll be in this with you. And my strength, my miracle will feed these people. I'll provide for them. You just sit here and lay. All you need to do is just hand out the food. I'll do the rest. And then at the end of it, what you'll find is that you have more. You still have your meal. And we can still sit together and we can still enjoy each other because ultimately, beloved, laboring for the kingdom is not striving that Jesus might see you worthy. It is falling at the feet of Jesus, laboring with the stronger worker, leaning into his generosity, leaning into his strength and his provision. Beloved, the labor of the kingdom is somehow simultaneously costly and restful. When we, when we come to Christ and yoke ourselves to Him, it costs you. You're called to give up these comforts and these petty things, and yet what you find is that Jesus' generosity and Jesus' strength more than fills you, more than provides for you, more than cares for you. Beloved, this is our Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.